Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello and welcome to that Gabby Roslin podcast. This week, I talk to the actor, singer, writer, dancer, DJ, club owner and raconteur, Alan Cumming. His stories are compelling and his eclectic mix of showbiz friends is legendary. From Liza Minnelli to Christine Chenoweth, we talk about his award-winning performance as the MC in Cabaret in the West End and on Broadway, his pen spinning in James Bond's GoldenEye, 90s cult film Romeo and Michelle's High School Reunion and That Dance, Spice World and the joy it brings. Playing Eli Gold on The Good Wife, and his deeply personal life story that was uncovered on Who Do You Think You Are, which led to him writing his moving and incredible book, Not My Father's Son. He also chats about his brand new book, Baggage, Tales from a Packed Life. Wow, this man has stories. Enjoy. Please can I ask you a favour? Would you mind, please, following and subscribing, please, by pressing the follow or subscribe buttons, please? This is completely and utterly free, by the way. And then you can also rate and review on Apple Podcasts, which is the purple app on your iPhone or iPad. Simply scroll down to the bottom of all of the episodes and you'll see the stars where you can tap and rate. And also, please write a review. Thank you so much. How many places was that? Probably too many, but please, thank you. my word at last <laughs> i can't remember the last time i spoke to you you I, glorious being uh, alan hello, coming Gabby. how are you i'm still alive nice oh. to talk to you i can't remember the last time it was when do you think it was about 2500 years ago <laughs> probably it feels like it. i know I, it was a spell when i saw you a lot and then of course i moved to america i guess but i know do you remember once we met in um what's that health farm called gray shot hall Yes. It was such a... That, now, that would have been... That's a long time. 20... At least 20-something years ago. Right. Because you know what was funny was that was when uh, Kate Winslet was there and it was in the middle of her filming Titanic. I remember her bitching away about how awful it was being in the water yes. and everything. And it was at Christmas and she had just come. That <laughs> <laughs> funny. She was so lovely. She'd just done my, or she was about to do, or just done my uh, TV show. And, um, and honestly, when I, you know, I went to the room and I thought, Okay, so there's Alan and Kate. And Maggie Smith I, was there too. The show, oh my God, how showbiz do you want to start this whole chat? That is hysterical. <laughs> oh my God. Do you know what I was just doing? So I was listening. Of all the things to the last thing. So obviously been listening. I've been reading. And even though I've known you in the past, um, was listening to, to your commercial for a condom. Oh, with Ricky Lake. Was, <laughs> was that really true? Yes. Was that for real? I mean, I, yeah, no, it, it was. I mean, I, I, that, I like the fact that you're not sure. I really do. I, I always enjoy doing things where people are think, "Is this real?" Uh, but yes, that was real. It was, it was for a condom, a new condom called Ecstasy, and I had the meeting. I had the meeting with them, and they said, <laughs> they told me about it. And some of the lines I do in the commercial, I say, uh, you know, I do it as a sort of a 1950s uh, t- TV show uh, kind of commercial. And I say, it's shaped like a baseball bat, you know. Because one of the guys, I said, so what is this condom like? And he went, well, it's shaped like a baseball bat. And I was like, oh, my God. 
I've seen a lot of penises in my life, but never one shaped like a baseball bat. So that's fascinating to start with. And then... Uh, Is that what they said to you? Yes. They, they actually said... Yes. Oh, my it's, God. They said it's like, so... it's Well, you know, I went to this lunch with these advertising people who are hilarious at the best of times, but they were selling me this, trying to sell me this condom. And they said, you know, it was this new kind. There was another line I used as well. Shaped like a baseball bat. And, you know, uh, it was ecstasy, you'll be... Just, oh yeah, the man said. <laughs> the man said, "So you what? You don't feel it is on? You can slosh around in it." That's what he said. So he used the verb slosh about wearing a condom. I was like, "No." <laughs> but anyway, that was a lyric as well. <laughs> oh my god! But it's so funny. Of all of all the things, for that to be the last thing that I just heard, and also <laughs> when I took my youngest daughter to school this morning, she was singing. Who and I, I might get this wrong. Who, what, oh, when, from where, Spy Kids. how from Spy, Spy yeah, Kids? Yeah, yeah, or one, yeah, Spy Kids two, I think maybe, because I'd sang. Yes, because you did. You did the trilogy. I did, but I did. I was mostly in the first one. I just kept went popping back for little appearances. But yeah, no, that's how old is she. She's fourteen, and it was her. She had a birthday party where her and a boy in her class, when they were younger, you know, you can. Um, rent tiny cinemas yeah. and so they all they wanted to do they had a spy kids birthday party wow that's so nice it's, it's really and they all thought it was really funny it's so it's it. so amazing actually that because what's funny about being in the spy kids films is that about mm, probably about 10 years ago or so i it, it, the way that young people young adults approached me completely changed because because of Spy Kids, because I'm sort of like this part of their, you know, especially the ones who were kids when it came out. Although it doesn't, it doesn't seem to have ebbed. It keeps, I think kids still watch Spy Kids. Uh, and, and I'm sort of a magical part of their childhood. And so they come up to me like they're going, they're seeing Mickey Mouse or something. And it completely changed how they, you know, you, you know, young people, when they recognize you, they're kind of a bit like, oh, hi, yeah, but sort of too cool for school. <laughs> And now it's actually really lovely. The whole generation just kind of look at me with big eyes and like they're transported back to their childhood. It's, such, it's, it's a really lovely thing. Do you know what's so incredible? Uh, uh, well, there's so many things incredible about you, but um, <laughs> that uh, for her, you, you are Mr. Floop. Then for the producer of this, Kate, yes. you are Spice World. <laughs> Spice World, And obviously we want to know if you can still do the dance moves. <laughs> and then for for another girlfriend of mine, she, I spoke to her this morning and I said, oh, I'm, I'm speaking to Alan Cummings. She went, oh my God, Eli Gold. Oh, yeah. So it's everyone has like a trigger with you <laughs> of where you sit in their head. And that, wow, isn't that magical? It for me, is. you're the MC because I remember coming to see you right. and Jane. And I think... That was the last time with Dixie, yes. our, our mutual friend who I was at school with. But but I came to see you as the MC, and you were unbelievable. Thank I mean, you. just extraordinary. Thank you. And I kept, so I kept it, on doing it. How does it feel that you're? How, um, I know we're going to talk about well, that. It, it, how it, does it feel that you sit in all those different places? I really people? like it. I mean, I love you said. I love that I'm triggering to so many people. That's hilarious. <laughs> I love the verb trigger. But uh, I, I know I really like that because. And I sort of play a game with myself when people see, you know, recognize me and things and come up. I sort of try and, before they say anything, I try and uh, guess what, what they're going to say. It's really funny because it's, it's... Oh, that's funny. Yeah, it's, 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 you know, I mean, I, there's a certain, you know, you know, kids of a certain age, Spy Kids, uh, maybe, you know, older people in America, it's Masterpiece Mystery, which is this thing I host here on PBS. And and then there was a certain kind of look. I think, oh, it'll be he's sort of comic geek, you know, from X Men things. Like that. And then you know, this, it's it's just really fascinating the different kind of demographic I've I've hit. But I really like it that I I like that I'm. I mean, it's why I wanted to be an actor. It's, I'm not known for just one thing, and I really that sort of that sort of reflected in how the public approached me. How, do people still? Um, I I read something about you saying that for. Um, high school reunion. When was that? Nineteen ninety-seven. Yeah. You did that. I mean, yeah, it came out in ninety-seven. Oh. Yeah, Romy and Michelle. Romy and Michelle. That yeah. I get a the, lot the too. Yeah, people... all the time. Yes, like every day on my Instagram or Twitter or something. And also, like people actually ask me if I will come to their reunion and do, uh, their wedding. A lot of people do it at their <gasps> wedding. Like the like the bride and groom and like the bridesmaids or whatever the chief bridesmaid do the dance as their sort of first dance, and they ask me if I'll come and do it. I'm like, a no. B, 
I don't know that dance. I, I can never possibly remember that dance. And it's like a, it's one of those films where I think because when it came out, I was when I came out, I you know I didn't go, I didn't see the premiere and all that. I was doing something else. I was away, and I I actually went to the cinema to see it. I was like paid to go and see it. <laughs> and oh wow! Yeah. Oh my god! And because uh, I was away in somewhere else, I, I was back in London, and I I don't know why actually. And uh, and also it's a sort of a sleeper. I think it did well in America when it came out. I think in Britain it's kind of taken a while to catch on. And uh, so I've ne- and I've only ever. I don't know. So it's one of these films that people are passionate about. Like they watch, girls watch it several times a week, or you know things that are every weekend. And at my bar in New York City, actually, we sometimes have a thing called the Romeo Michelle's uh, Tea Dance on a Saturday afternoon. It's all nineties music, and it's great. A guy, <gasps> DJ from Wales called Raw. He's he does a thing called Bright Light, Bright Light. He's a pop pop singer too, and he and then when you want a request, you write it on a post it and give it to him. <laughs> so uh, it's it's kind of you know everywhere. Uh, but I for me, it's one of these. It's it's kind of one of the more unfamiliar things that I've done. But people always ask me to go and do that dance at their wedding. <laughs> Imagine if I just turned up I at your love wedding. That. <laughs> oh my god! Drunk that and would bumbling just be fantastic. That dance. I think you'd be you'd be everybody's dream guest at a wedding. But the other thing that I I mean we're all, we're obviously we're going to go further into all of these. But it's just so funny that I I I love the idea that people say you know contact you each day through social media or see you in the street. Does and you said also that people ask if you can still do the pen thing and shout I am invincible oh, yes. because of Goldeneye. I get that a lot too. Yes, yeah. I mean I quite like oh, I I, I, I think that's quite a good one because people just shout I am invincible at me. And I just wave, and I just <laughs> sort of, you know, you know, just sort of acknowledge it. And I quite, I, I quite like it. I quite like when I, when people, like people, always want me to say it if they're James Bond fans. And so I love when I, I go, you want me to say I'm invincible, don't you? And they go, yes. And I go, I'm invincible, and they freak out. It's so fun because I love saying it actually. Still, it's, it hasn't grown old. But the pen thing, I can't. I barely could do it when I shot oh. the film. It's, I mean, I guess I could learn. You're not again. allowed to say that. I could, but it was, yeah. you know, Jason Isaacs. Do I know him? Yeah. Yes. Well, I do. he 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 was the person who taught me how to do it because I was with I was with Dixie actually when I, I so I got the script of Goldeneye and I was freaking out that I wouldn't be able to learn to do this thing because I'm very uncoordinated uh, and and I remember trying to do it and I couldn't get it and I said to Dixie I said Gosh, you know. There's probably something else I could do that would be the, you know, something else that, that would be the same equivalent thing as the pen. Don't you think, Dix? And I showed her the script and she was like, Alan, it's the crux of the whole entire film. You've got to learn to do it. So Jason um, is a, does magic. You know that he's like a magician. And uh, I didn't know that. Yeah, he was always, I would always get him to do magic tricks. And he would, when kids are around, he always, you know, finds things behind their ear and everything. Yeah, he used to do magic. And um, so he taught me because he knew he was very good at all that stuff. And he kind of explained it to me. So I learned it. And then when I got on the set on the big day, they, of course, gave me the special James Bond Parker pen or whatever it was. And it was a different shape. It was like I'd been just doing it with a biro, just a long, you know, the same length all the way along. And then the one they gave me kind of tapered down at the end to the nib. And I, so I, I, took it, I was like freaking out because it was all different. And I kept dropping it. <laughs> but, you know, I faked it. It was fine. You did it very well then. For somebody who was faking it, you did it very well indeed. Do you know, you're, you, I, I mean, I, I, I didn't know where to begin. It's really funny because when I read everything and I, because I've seen you in so many things and, and obviously we want to talk about who do you think you are because of the book then, uh, Not My Father's Son, which I've read. Uh, what an extraordinary, I- incredible, moving book. Mm. But um all of that I wanted to talk to you about. Then I looked at all of the things that you do. Then I thought about knowing you in in real life. Then I then I looked at a list of how somebody described you, and it's extraordinary. So you're an actor, dancer, photographer, writer, singer, producer, director. You're a fragrance maker. You have a couple of podcasts, <laughs> and you have you do an immense amount of charity work, and you have your own club, and you tour. And you do a cabaret show. You're not, I don't, I mean, where do you begin? If you were to meet somebody and they say, okay, what do you do? Can you just pick one of those? I say, or yeah, I say, say, I say I'm an actor usually. Say? I say I'm an actor or a writer. An actor and a writer. Those, I mean, I've been adding writer more recently. I normally just say an actor. I mean, I want, I want to say 
when I don't, if people don't recognize me or they pretend not to, and I don't want to engage, I say I'm a writer. And then they don't, they're not really interested. Oh, that's clever. But uh, I sort of say I'm an actor. Yeah, I say I'm an actor. I mean, I think that's what I'm most known for is being an actor. So, but because all the other stuff's just a sort of, I, I, I always, I think of myself as just like an, a, 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 a sort of, a, a, you know, an, an artist for hire. That's what I think of myself because they're all okay. they're all basically the same thing. I, I just sort of say uh, you're a, you're an extraordinary award winning actor because you really are an extraordinary actor. I want to go to the MC in Cabaret, which you did here in the UK on uh, in the West End. Then you did on Broadway, and then you revisited it again on Broadway. Yes. You won the awards. You know, it's it's I, I, would is it too much for me to say that in many ways that I know that I know about your father and, and who do you think you are I know that changed your life personally but would you think the MC changed your life absolutely I mean in uh, each time I did it huge things happened to me actually uh, I mean when I was in when I did it on Broadway uh, in 1998 and actually I've got you know I, I, I just I, last week I read the audiobook of my new book it's coming out in October and I, I so it's actually quite good. I, you know, when you write something and then it goes away for months and you forget. And then I read it again. I talk about how insane it was going to New York and not really understanding. It's my first time I'd ever been on Broadway. It was, I hadn't been to New York more than a few days, you know, before that. Um, not really understanding the whole, how it works there and the whole machine and what was happening to me. And it was so I was in the middle of this. I was sort of both in this thing and observing myself and, and it was overwhelming. I had fun and everything, but that's why I was so glad I went back and did it again 16 years later because I sort of felt more relaxed. But uh, yeah, so when I did that, it kind of changed everything in terms of, you know, being known in America. And actually what was what I think is great about that is that, I mean, I'd done some films and stuff in America that were successful, but I, I became sort of, you know, went to a different level of people knowing me because of the theatre, which I think hardly ever happens. It was really interesting that a, that a piece of theatre kind of entered the zeitgeist in that way. And when I did it in London, you know, four years before that, uh, that was pretty intense as well because I was kind of, you know, crazy things were just about to happen in my real life. So every time I've done it, you know, huge things. Actually, and then when I did it in the last time in, in 2014, 2015, that's when uh, my book, Not My Father's Son, came out during the run of it. And that was a huge sort of thing happened in my life, too. So it's funny. I associate Dean Cabaret with these big sort of maelstromy events in my life. It's, it's going to be coming back to the West End with Eddie Redmayne. I saw that. I'm so uh, glad. It. Are you? Yes. Do you, well, that, that's I also write about this in the book, actually, because what I think is really weird is that, like, you know, right before I did... The MC originally, I did Hamlet, and when you play Hamlet, you're compared to lots of other Hamlets, and 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 you know it's sort of it's not there's no definitive Hamlet. It's all people uh, in different times present different things that are to do with themselves and also the circumstances that they're in. Whereas with the MC, and that was what was really difficult. You know, when I did it, when I came to Broadway, everyone was saying, "Oh, did you just try to be different to Joe Gray?" And I was like, "No." Uh, I didn't I just did it how I thought it should be done, and and it was it was really awkward for a while. The pair of us were sort of not pitted against each other, but but it was just this endless thing. And I was like, oh God, I didn't even. I mean, I think he's great, but I just don't sort of think this has got anything to do with him. And I just thought, gosh, it would be really weird if if you if if you know, like Hamlet, you wouldn't think, did you do it to try to be different to you know whoever was the last one who did it before you? Mm. So not, so I say in the book actually that I I think it's just because there's only been really two you know. What the, iconic, I suppose, perf interpretations of that role because it's a relatively new show. It's only written in the 60s. And I, what I don't like is another thing that happens to me on social media is that kids all over the world send me, is it we're doing Cabri at my high school or my college? And they send me pictures of themselves and they look identical to me. They have the same straps and the crotch thing and the hair the same way. And I always just, and I don't say this to them, but I always think, oh, I wish they wouldn't copy me. I wish they'd just do it how they want to do it. And I, I, I think that what's what's good is that someone soon will come along and do a very different version in a high profile sort of way. And that will kind of make it, will sort of spread out a bit. And it will, and then I think hopefully, you know, more people will, it's, it's a weird role because it's not really a character, it's sort of a, sort of a symbol or a cipher almost. So you can do anything you like. So that, when I heard that Eddie was doing, it, I thought, oh, great. Because that'll be much, you know, 
celebrated and, and he's so good. And I think it'd be good to have another big sort of interpretation of that role that will be different. And it won't be, and I'll probably stop getting, you know, kids in Florida sending me inappropriate pictures. <laughs> well, I, maybe uh, let's hope he doesn't fall over a light or bang his head because isn't there a wonderful story of what happened backstage? <laughs> yeah. I, I, I ran into a light. I, uh, it was so weird. I'd done a neti pot. You know the neti pot thing where you stick it up your nose and all the water goes up and down the other side? Yes, I do. And it for singers, it clears your nasal passages. Clears I must do it because I've got a bit of a blocked ear. But I, um, so I'd done that because I'd flown. I'd, I'd gone to Los Angeles on my day off. Uh, in Cab- as you do. As you do. And I was, because I was doing this, I was going to leave the show soon. I had a fitting and all this stuff, blah, blah. So anyway, I came back, flew back on the Tuesday. It was a bit... Blocks. I took a th- I took a neti pot, but the thing with the neti pot is that sometimes, you know, like about an hour later, a big dribble. Just, it's called surfers, you no know, surfers drip. You know, when surfers just suddenly a bit of the sea that's gone in and hasn't come out for it, and suddenly they're talking to you, just like sploosh out it comes. So that was what happened to me. So I was sitting on the stage, <laughs> um, in cavity on Broadway, all being all sexy and everything, and suddenly a big sploosh came out my nose and went down my chest. I thought, oh, not so sexy now. And uh, so I kind of like sidled <laughs> off to the side to get a hanky, you know, you know. <laughs> and then blew my nose. And then the music started. And I, because I'd done a different route, you know, I'd, I'd gone out my normal thing, I'd, my normal pattern. I ran back on because I thought, oh, gosh, I'm going to be late. And I ran right into a light. And the whole theatre, well, the whole backstage thud, uh, shuddered. It was this kind of dig 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 with the with the sheer force of my head hitting this light. And I was just like, What? And then, of course, I had to keep. I had to go on. I had to keep going. The show must go on. So I started to get really woozy, and you know, I'd be like, "I shouldn't laugh, but I can't." Oh, it was it. it was hilarious. I mean, it was it was it was you know because I was going <laughs> soluble. I, you know, in the second half of the cabaret, the MC gets a bit sort of druggy and uh, everything. But this was early on. I was supposed to be still perky at this point. So I was like, "Mine and diamond and hair like that," and I could, like couldn't find the door handle. And then I, you know, went off stage. I'd be kind of all woozy. So at the end of the first half, I had to stand up on the platform and kind of show my bum. And I was so wobbly. And then I, as soon as the, the lights went out, I just went, got on my knees and I went, I crawled off the platform on my hands and knees. And like my dress was in, they kind of helped me up the stairs and I lay on the floor of my dressing room. And this is the worst part of the story. The stage manager came in and kind of straddled me, stood over me and was looking down. And he went, Alan do you think you can do the second half? And I was like, no, I have to go to the hospital. <laughs> and so I went to the hospital and that was crazy. And I was trying to, there was, quick, get him, get him in an ambulance. And I was taking wet wipes and wiping the makeup off my bum. And because and, I had this swastika on my bum that I showed at the end of the first half. And they were going, what are you doing? Leave it. I said, no, but the doctor might be Jewish and he'll be really offended. And so I just, all these crazy things are happening. As I get to the hospital and what was funny was there was a lady who had, it was a very hot day and it was a lady in the audience had fainted and had to go to hospital and she was in the next room to me at the hospital and they said, would you go and say hello to her? And I was like, you know, sure. I've got all these tubes up my nose and things and little sticky things on me. And I kept kind of, you know, that thing where they try to make you not go to sleep because they're worried, because I had a concussion. And so anyway, they wheeled me in on my my gurney uh, to this, they said, I heard them going, you know how you so wanted to see Alan Cummings? He goes, yes, I waited months to get tickets and I can't believe I fainted and I missed seeing the whole show. I love him. And they're like, well, here he is. And they wheeled me in and I'm sort of waving no! the oxygen no! mask on. <laughs> that's show business, ladies and gentlemen, and those who don't oh define the God, that's fantastic. <laughs> Isn't it nuts? She must have wondered what they'd given her. She must have completely think she was hallucinating. I know. It was so oh nuts, though. Yeah, I I, it was. That. It was. It's kind of scary. I do bang my head quite a lot, though. It's one of these things that I. Well, just can you be careful? Uh, yeah. Just be careful. You're too precious. <laughs> um, you, you are, but you are the raconteur. You know, the, I remember when when you and I were kids, <laughs> and Parkinson was on. The one, uh, you know, was he always had um, Peter Ustinov. Yes. Who was when whenever he was on, everyone said, "Wow, his stories." I think you are. Our present day <laughs> great raconteur oh, bless because you. you you have the most eclectic mix of friends yes and you and and stories I do have good I mean, stories I mean incredible. the thing is I I think what it is is like I think they're crazy too do you know what I mean I think the thing is that when you stop I think in a funny way because 
I didn't go to America at all until I was 30. So I had this whole other life. And I have stories from that time too, but, you know, I have this, I think I have an outsider's eye on everything. So when, you know, I have this, I do have, I, you know, I've met and worked with such a crazy range of people and some hilarious things have happened to me and continue to do so. But I think I, I, they're hilarious because I'm still slightly standing outside my own life looking into it. And uh, and I like telling That's stories. That's quite nice. My friend Rob, actually, yeah. there was something, oh yeah, I told this story once and uh uh, and then I saw him a couple of times that week and uh, I was I was telling the story and he said at the end of the week, he went, I've heard this story three times this week. And I went, <laughs> and did it get better each time? And he went, yes, it did. I went, well, shut up then. <laughs> <laughs> and there's another one about you hosting the Tonys with Kristen Chenoweth. Oh, my word. Oh, this... And something to do with muffins. Oh, my God. This what is so awful. Earth... <laughs> This is Kristen. She is one of the most hilarious people in the world. She's she's so nuts and just such good fun. Oh, actually, I've got to text her. She texts me. Anyway, blah, blah. Uh, she, You'll see. Showbiz. Showbiz. Oh, uh, but Must text her. She, she texts at like two in the morning when she's on Ambien. Anyway, but uh, she, um, <laughs> like she said, this is an, a, another story. She, you know, she was on The Good Wife for a while and she fit in, in, a, in a, a big light thing. The big, one of the big... Uh, what do you call it? Flag things, a big, you know, that keeps the sun off, fell on top of her and it pushed and she's like cracked her skull open. It was terrible. She nearly died. Oh my yeah. God. And I went to see her a couple weeks later and she's having a nice time in her apartment when she was recovering. And she said that her hairdresser was coming to take out her extensions. And I was like, oh, you've got extensions. She goes, yeah. And she feel them. And she, I felt, you know, the little knobby bits and they were right under her where her scar was. And I said, oh gosh, that probably kind of protected you. Those those knobby bits kind of protected you when you fell. And she went, and she grabbed my hand. She went, Ellen, I think my extension saved my life. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, that's not the story. So when we were hosting the Tonys, she, uh, she and I hosted it together. And we were talking because there used to be this lady called Eliz- um, um, uh, Isabel Stevenson who used to run the, uh, what do you call it, the American Theatre Wing. And she's sort of, hello, the American Theatre Wing is delighted to announce. She was like that, you know, a big old sort of grand dame. Very nice, very supportive and lovely. And we both liked her. And so one time, uh, 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 Kristen's assistant said to her, oh, you know, Isabel's being honoured at this thing. Do you want to send a message? And Kristen was doing this um, promotional endorsement thing of a muffin company at the time. So she said, you know what? Let's send her a basket of muffins. So they did. They sent a basket of muffins. About a week later, she gets a phone call from Isabel Stevenson's son. He says, Kristen, it was so lovely of you. Such a nice thought to send a basket of muffins to my mother's funeral. <laughs> and so, yeah. And so, no! so there's like <laughs> the coffin. I This is how oh, I imagine no. the coffin with Isabel in it. Hopefully the coffin was an open cask. I just love the fact she might be there. Bouquets, you know, like wreaths, big things of flowers, and then oh a god. basket of muffins sitting there. And I said to her, "Oh my god, did you write any message on it?" She said, "Yes, congratulations, Isabel." No. <laughs> it just—I tell that story so many times. I just laugh. It just makes me laugh so much. Oh that's that's god. just so Kristen. Like, just try. You know, she was just being kind and being sort of dopey at the same time. Just fantastic. Oh, my God, that is brilliant. That is my... I want to sort of adopt that and pretend it happened that I knew the person because it is that it's good a good, story. Uh, but also, let, let's go... The other thing that I talked about was uh, who do you think you are? I think... Yeah. Was that 10, 15 years? Oh, no, about... It must be like that? 10. Oh, actually, I think it was 2010 right, okay. or 2011. Yeah. Right, yeah. okay. 11 years ago. Yeah. And that was extraordinary to watch because... Not so much of, uh, I mean, I remember watching it and being so utterly shocked as you were. But we, I mean, you, you so, I'm going to use the J word. You did take us on that journey. And that we, what you learned about your grandfather mm. from how, what you, for, so for people who don't know about <sighs> the story, uh, so it, it was quite something. Wow. So what happened was, um, I, my grandfather, my mum's father, I know he died in 1951 and I never obviously knew him. I wasn't born too long after that, but he, I knew he was, there was this sort of thing in our family that he was uh, uh, in a shooting accident in Malaysia and it was all a bit sort of mysterious and, you know, he's, I don't know, and people didn't really talk about him and 
uh, anyway, so my granny had remarried and stuff like that. So anyway, I, the, you know, when I, the, the who do you think you are people? Have you done it? No, oh, no, no, no. Because no, they, no, no. they come and ask you if you'd like to do it and then they go away and research you to see if you're interesting enough or if your family's interesting enough. <laughs> and it's hilarious. I've known a couple of people, like lovely Faye, you know, Faye Ripley. They asked her and they came yes. back and said, sorry, your family's a bit boring. And they didn't. No. Yes. And she was furious. And she was like, oh my God, my father got divorced and remarried five times. And this person was, so it's kind of just really hilarious. It's quite nerve wracking because <laughs> you think, oh, I really wanted to find out about this. And there's a couple of other things in my family I was curious about. Anyway, they came back and they've obviously thought, you know, jackpot. Because they discovered that my, so my grandfather, this huge war hero, which we didn't really know about, uh, had got injured in India mentally and physically and was obviously one of those institutionalized, was separated from my granny. One of my uncles was not his son and he died playing Russian roulette in this little village in Malaysia in 1951. I mean, just, it was like one slap in the face with a wet fish after another. And so... You know, what was interesting was at the start of it, I remember thinking, this is the be- this is the best thing that's happened to me about being famous. Because, like, no, they wouldn't have asked me otherwise. And I can tell my mum this. She doesn't know all this story, but she doesn't know how I died, the whole story. But she never really knew him. I can give her this gift. And then, of course, when I was in Malaysia and I'd find out all this other stuff, and then I get the news about the Russian roulette, I was like, oh, my God, I've got to tell my mum. This is the worst thing that's happened to me about oh being gosh. famous. So it was really... It was but a, then a all lot. the stuff with your dad as well, your own. Father. Well, so what happened was at the same time as that, that that was that was not that was what happened on the TV show. But whilst I was filming it, my father, who I'd been sort of you know we I hadn't seen him for you know nearly twenty years, uh, uh, he came out of the woodwork, and and he I think he he'd heard that I was going to do who do you think you are because I think they called him up and asked if he because they research all parts of your family. And I th- he thought that this other thing was going to come out, which was that he uh, that I was not his biological son. He thought that was what was going to happen. I would find out from them. And so he got my brother, told my brother to tell me. And this was right, like, honestly, the day before I started filming, I get my brother comes over in an absolutely distraught state uh, to my flat in London to tell me that my father is not, I'm not my father's son. And then I have to like go, what? And then I start filming the things I've got these two stories, so that's what not my father's son. The book is about the two sort of concurrent stories of my grandfather, and my father, and that was just nuts because you know ultimately I had to take a DNA. I didn't have to. Well, I did, I suppose, for my own peace of mind. I took a DNA test, and my father said he would take one initially, and then he refused. And then I, so my brother and I took it, and if, obviously if we had the same DNA, then it wasn't true. So we, it wasn't true. I found I was shooting in South Africa in the middle of the who do you think you are thing. And I found out. And so I had to call up my dad uh, and tell him I that I was his son after he had made it true for himself that I wasn't. I mean, for various reasons that are also in the book. I mean, I think it was because he was, I don't know, he was obviously mentally ill, but you know that thing you can, I mean, I sort of think I understand in a way, you know, if you if something happens and you don't like, it's good, I'm just going to pretend that didn't happen. Do you know what I mean? You can sort of maybe see something yeah. And or you or you even you do something and you just think okay I'm just I'm just gonna that didn't happen, and it, and you can do that and I think my dad did that about a whole swathe of his behaviour and my my life like his uh, my the sort of violence that he gave to both me and my brother actually that's why it's sort of the logic's not right because it was my brother as well, uh, and then and also you know the kind of being having tons of tons and tons of affairs. Uh, and uh, so he kind of, I think he made that the truth for himself to sort of justify all that stuff. Like, you know, he, he said to me on this last phone call, he said, did you not notice that we never bonded? I was like, yes, <laughs> frankly, I did. <laughs> um, but I didn't think that was the reason. And uh, so, I, I mean, it's just, it's still so difficult because it's even talking about it now i'm just like why when did he just what what you know it's sort of and i'll never know he's he died and so i'll never know and even if he was alive i'd never get the answers so i've had to sort of you know work it out for myself uh but it was absolutely nuts the book is extraordinary and i can imagine it's helped a lot of people but you know are you i think too many of us use you know i always say oh that's amazing but that book is so moving. 
it mm. you, it it is you speaking. It's incredibly yeah. personal, but it's it, it's also like it's I, also I, I, unbelievable. It is unbelievable, and that's why it's you know it's like it's like a page turner. It's like a thr- a thriller, yeah. <laughs> and it's actually my life. Uh, so that was why I came to do this next one. I was like, oh, I don't have anything so thrilling. I don't have a page turner. It's just, <laughs> just me. What happened next? You know. So I, it's called Baggage Tales from a Fully Packed Life, and it's um, it's sort of. Uh, it's it, in a way it's it's about my life it's about me from the end of kind of where uh, in one part of Not My Father's Son left off like in 1994 uh, when I got divorced it's from my end of my first marriage to the big to the start of my second one that so it goes from 1994 to 2000 early 2007 and I I really wanted it to I wanted to address the fact that after Not My Father's Son so many I read everywhere all this sort of thing about I mean you're right it did help so many people and people constantly say to me I read that and it made me able to you know confront someone who abused me or 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 and there's a, a, an amazing lady in Israel, who told me that she had had a stillborn child, and she read my book, and she was own, that was then she was able to talk about it, and I mean, just it's incredible how you can wow. unlock things for people by just being authentic and telling your truth. So that was a really amazing thing to have reaffirmed. Anyway, but what I didn't like was this thing: Alan is cured, Alan has overcome, Alan has triumphed, and so in a way, in this book, I want to say, you know, you don't. Nobody gets over trauma. Everyone has trauma, first of all. And nobody gets over it. You just get better at managing it. And you just are able to go through life and hopefully being vigilant, but not letting it control you. And so that's what I've done anyway. And so, but I haven't conquered it. I haven't, I'm not, there's no triumph. Uh, I've just kind of, my way of dealing with it was ultimately to just tell everyone about it. And um, so, th- so this book's about sort of, it's, it's sort of, me, uh, you know, in my life, in my personal life, and my work life, I, I sort of say I, I, this book's really so that you, I want to, you to not buy into the Hollywood ending of how, you know, like... Of, oh, that's interesting. And yet then I go on to sort of okay. talk to you all about my Hollywood life. But I, I, I sort about of... Hollywood. Yeah, show all, I, I do show all that, have some funny stories, but also show a lot of the, you know, I made loads of mistakes. And, and I, I think one of the interesting things about getting older and, you know, wisdom is just, for me anyway recognizing the patterns that keep happening in your life. You know, the, the same things keep coming around, the same situations and the same. And you just, it's just like, maybe you should make a different or choose to behave a different way this time. And that's what wisdom is, I think. So I've, I think that I've, my wisdom has come about through, you know, cycles of, of mistakes and, and relationships that I went into that were very affected by my father, you know, that I thought I could fix people and, I went. I and I stayed in toxic situations because I felt that was my familiar things like that. So that's what this book's about. It's kind of coming out of that, and also all my sort of you know Hollywood hilarity. So I'm actually looking at the cover right now on my computer because the British covers come in for me to approve. But um, but but also for me, the the one thing as you as an actor, and I, I'm. I'm I'm not going to go into any psychobabble, but but thinking about what you went through when you were growing up and then as an actor, you give a lot and then you share your stories with everybody and you know, you have a club, you have a bar where mm. you regale people with these extraordinary stories. I have to say, I wish you'd open one in London or I'm going to fly to New York. <laughs> Is it open again, your bar? Yes, yes, and it's open? been open. Wow. It's actually been open all the time, apart from when you had to close in last summer. We opened again because you could be outside, you know, you could have an outside thing. But we've started performances again, you know, a couple of months ago uh, with the social distancing. And now that's all it's all fine again. But I mean, you know, we're being you have to be vaccinated to get in all that stuff. And but yeah, it's yeah. it's it's back. It's so fun because actually was such a sense of community created there. You know, when it was gone, it was such a loss to so many people. But the, but you give again, you're a real you're a sharer. But I'm not oversharing. You just share. And <laughs> no, I you, think I overshare. It's, it's, <laughs> no, you, you're you not doing it for yourself, though. That's how it comes across, is that no. you're not doing it for yourself. No, no. I I, I mean, I think it's interesting. I The thing I found that, you know, in many ways, like, you know, years ago with the sort of British press and the tabloids had a sort of a spell when I was you know, they were interested in me. Um, I found that, you know, being, not being, not being completely open, being, trying to sort of retain things and being coy, invited speculation. 
And that kind of, you know, because I, I, I said some things, but I didn't really explain them properly. And so therefore they were on me and they were just wouldn't let me go. And I became... Oh, that's horrible. Yes. So horrible. so that was a lesson I learned. So in, and if you take that as a sort of a, 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 in microcosm, that in a way that I feel my, every time I have been open or, or, or about myself or really been open in a, in a, in a role or really kind of connected and, and, and let, let myself come through, uh, my experience come through in either in a way that I interpret a role or what I write or what I sing or, you know, the cabaret shows I do, um, I feel that I connect with people more. And so it's sort of like the less, uh, the more frank and honest I am, the more I am happy and I feel that my audiences relate to me and, and connect with me. And that's that's why you do it. You know, you just want to connect with people. So it's been interesting that, that I've realized those things, even like, you know, 20 years ago, I did this film with Jennifer Jason Lee called The Anniversary Party. And that was a film. It was a film set in Hollywood. It wasn't, but I did play someone who we, Jennifer and I very much based our characters on ourselves and, and, and some of the other people in it, actually, we tried to make it very close to who they, the audience's perception of them was. And in a way, that was a really successful thing because we were allowing, you know, when people know a bit about you, it's actually good to use that sometimes. And uh, and I feel that's been a really successful thing for me that I, the more I do that, the more it works, both as a person and as a performer or a writer or an artist. What's interesting is though that, that years ago, you know, everyone was so obsessed with your sexuality. Mm. I mean, it just, you know, if you go to old press stuff, it's just shut up every, just God, <laughs> it's nobody's business. Really isn't. And now... If you go to, to present day stuff, the the adoration and it's actually it's not over the top. It's really sort of respect. You've you've got respect, which you should have had all those years ago. And they weren't being disrespectful, but I just mm. it became you became a celebrity. I hate that word, but you were a celebrity. Mm. And now there's so much respect. I mean, the, obviously being all the things that you've talked about, but the good wife it's another of those stepping stones that suddenly people go, oh, my word, you know, one of the greatest TV, you know, people quote it as one of the greatest TV shows ever, <laughs> that you were a part of that yes, as well. Yes. It suddenly takes you to a different level, doesn't it? Uh, yes, I think you sort of transcend. I mean, it's interesting, just going back to what you said about the sexuality, that was kind of an example of one of the things that I meant about being coy. That I, and, and the reason I was being coy was it was, you know, it wasn't actually as cut and dried as, <laughs> or as black and white for me, uh, so I wasn't sure, and I also didn't, you know, didn't, was protecting people and everything like that. And I don't. Yes, I still, but it's also no, nobody's it's, business. It's not. It's, it's not. not. But the also, I, I, I feel that I, I, it is, it isn't. But I sort of feel that sometimes, if you're, I think some, I think it's fair enough if you play a character in a certain, you know, has a certain stance on things that, that the audience and certainly the journalists are interested to know what your stance is on it. So I get it. I, I did understand it. And that's ultimately why I decided to sort of talk about it and be more public about it all those years ago. Um, and also because I, you know, it, I had been coy and it, and it brought all the speculation and that was actually more hurtful to people around me than... Anyway, but um, mm. so yes, in the, in the way what happens though is there's an interesting thing that happens when you realise that people or the press anyway are as as interested if not more in your personal life as they are your work and so there's a for me there was like a spell when that was like oh christ you know that was and i was playing lots of sort of you know roles that kind of kind of were fueled to that fire uh so but as you get older it kind of uh and i also guess if you're just sort of you lay it out there it's not it's boring for people, but then you mm. kind of go into this. So yeah, in the good way, if I definitely feel I went into this sort of, it was a really great thing for me actually, because I, I grew up a lot as, as a, as an actor doing it. Cause I thought, you know, I can't do this. I'm cheeky chappy Allen. I'm sort of always, you know, taking my clothes off and being a sort of, uh, I don't mm. know, being a sort of fantastical person. I mean, sometimes not even playing a human. <laughs> and uh, here I am now playing this middle-aged man in a suit. And, uh, and then I thought, oh, I am a middle-aged man. If I put a suit on, guess what? I can do this. <laughs> so it was it was really... And then I, I thought it would be limiting. You know, I thought it would be boring and limiting. And I was also quite scared of the thing because I'd never done anything where you don't know the ending. You know, when you do a film or a, 
And in Britain, when you do the TV uh, TV series, you know it's all written. In America, like it went on for seven seasons. They didn't know how it was going to go. Even the end of the first season, they don't know. So you get... You really had no idea where your character was going? None. I mean, they give you a sort of... Each wow. season, they give you a sort of, here's where we're thinking. But often, you know, there was this thing where, you know, something was going to happen, but then they, the other actor who was going to be involved in this, they, they weren't available or, you know, blah, blah. So they just went on to something else. And uh, there was always, I go, what happened about blah, blah? And they went, oh, they weren't available. So we're not doing that now. Now you're going to have an affair with this person. And then also what was great is you could say, talking of affairs, like I, I they had him, Eli, the character I played, he would say things like, oh, how he hadn't had sex for so long, you know, and people would say, you know, his friends would say stuff to him and kind of rib him. And he was this very uptight person. And I said to them, you know, I'm a good actor, but I just don't know that I can keep doing these scenes where I talk about the fact that I haven't had sex for years. Uh, and so I said, please, can Eli have sex? And so within about a month, <laughs> there was uh, Parker Posey came on as my ex-wife. And then also Amy Sedaris came on as this sort of rival of Eli's and they had an affair. And so I had these two, <laughs> two of the craziest actresses <laughs> on the planet playing opposite. Actually, Amy bit me. Amy bit my finger. She, uh, she bit you. She bit me in a scene where she was like had whipped cream, you know, and she was sort of squishing whipped cream and put it on my finger and sucking it off. And she bit me one day and we just got such giggles. And it was sore <laughs> as well. And I was just like, what is going on? It was just hilarious. <laughs> and then I, you know, do, and Parker, I've done a few films with Parker and she's, I love her so much, but she's just mental and like hilarious to work with. So I, I, I you know, I asked for that and then I got it in spades it was so good and then i had an affair with um vanessa williams that was so uh, fun as well you know miss she's not in real life you no, mean in, on, in on the, the show. show on the show and actually that was yeah. embarrassing because on the day that we had to do our first kiss uh you know it's all, it all kind of flirting for episodes and episodes and then suddenly it was going to happen and uh i think it was a couple of days before we were filming i got a cold sore and i was like oh my god i can't kiss vanessa williams oh, i've got a cold sore. i know <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and I, so I had to sort of email them and say, I can't do the kissing. I had to email them, Vanessa, I'm so sorry, I can't kiss you. I was cold sore. And she was like, oh, darling, don't worry. Anyway, so it was so embarrassing. Like, they covered it up. I mean, so we did the bit right up until we, you know, we leaned in. And then we shouted, cut. And then, like, a week later on a green screen, we actually made it. So that was even more bizarre because we were like, good morning, how are you? Yeah, put oh, our coffees down. Weird. And then just went in, like, like, ready. Our faces are, like, a foot away from each other. <laughs> and actually, we just go in and start making out. It was so hilarious, but, you know, you can't kiss people with cold sores. No, you don't want to share a cold sore. You share everything else. You're a <laughs> yeah, sharer, that but not myself, your cold sore. Yeah. Not your cold sore. Um, I, I just want to talk to you as well about Schmigadoon because oh. it's one of those quiet shows that we, because I'm, a, I, you probably, I don't know why you would remember this, but I'm obsessed with musical theatre. I mm, love it. I remember. And I don't know why my daughters are both obsessed with musical theatre. <laughs> I don't know where they got that from. Uh, but we love Schmigadoon. It's and so good. It's, oh my word. It's on Apple TV. And it's one of those sort of quiet things that you say to somebody, have you seen Schmigadoon? They think, Oh, yes, have you seen? And, and I, <laughs> I remember putting it on my Instagram and I had so many messages from people saying, oh, you've seen it too. It was, it's like one of these bubble things. And I, I, I sort of want to go to a Schmigadoon watching party. Oh, that I would think, be good actually because it's only six half hours. Oh you could do it on the whole thing. Oh my God, it's just so It's such good. a laugh. I mean, again, it's one of these crazy things. It was actually great because it was the first thing I did during COVID. The first thing where I left, you know, my little cocoon, and uh, went to Canada. And it was when the American election was on. So it was, I was out of America when all that went down. So it was uh, really a, a lovely thing to do. <laughs> and uh, it's about this It's about this couple in real life who are having a, who go on one of these sort of outward bound fixture relationship weekends and they go across this bridge and it's like, like Brigadoon. They cross this bridge and they, and, they, and they go into a musical and it's like a 1950s Hollywood musical. And they're stuck there. And um, and I play the mayor of Brigadoon, which is, and it was such, I had Kristen's in it. There's all these great people in it. Um, Keegan-Michael Key's the, the guy and Cecily Strong from Saturday Night Live. Oh, how good. Oh, Jane Kukowski's God, hilarious. So She's only in one episode, but she plays a character that's sort of based on the Baroness in um, The Sound of Music. And uh, it's just nuts and so clever. And uh, yeah, I'm really glad it's, people have liked it because it's sort of, and I think we're maybe going to do another one. Yeah. Yes. 
but but not like in Schmigadoon in a different in a different sort of um, setting because that's the sort of a it's both a parody and a homage of sort of you know 50s 40s 50s Hollywood musicals so I think the next plan is to do one of a different era so we'll see it looks like it in everything that you do though it looks like you had you have so much fun and I can't imagine you not having I mean even you know even but Spice World you know that's oh, that a was film fun. that still stands Personified. up today. it's a cult film totally oh my word. and also it's like it's interesting because I'm very much of this I, I I don't like snobbery of any kind and when people you know that thing and, or I don't you know I don't like the, the, the notion of a guilty pleasure whenever anyone says I get you know oh, I hate asked, that. what's your guilty pleasure yes. I say I don't have any I, I don't associate guilt with pleasure and I, I refuse to if something gives me pleasure I'm not yes. gonna you know ram it off yes. off the thing with shame so but I think it's interesting that and when I when I DJ you know I I because I DJ sometimes uh, and I put on a sort of fun, tacky pop song. I can see people like, oh, I'm exciting. And then they get feel a bit, oh, is anyone looking? Is, it, am I, is this too uncool to listen? And I just think, oh, come on, life's too short. Dance to the tacky song. And Good I think when when people talk about things like Spice World, uh, not just because I'm in it, but they sort of say, they say, oh, you'll probably hate this, but I think Spice World's my favourite thing. And I, I think, why would I hate that? Do you know what I mean? I loved it. I, I did it. You know, you don't do something if you think it's a lot of, rubbish and i think actually it's a really good film for a for a for a caper film of a you know a band i think it's really clever and it's you know it was a really great experience for me so i think um i think it's really funny that we have a thing of if something slightly we're very judgy about about enjoying things and that's i suppose why we have yes. this notion of guilty pleasure but that was but such why a it? why is i mean I remember lovely uh, richard e grant uh, saying the same thing about it and just said you know it was such fun and why do people feel embarrassed to admit that they enjoy it as a film I don't think we should be on Instagram and social media now you see a lot of people you know everybody's so judgy judgy I don't give a I will just dance to the stupidest things and I will just be silly because that's me Me and that's what life's about and you get that from you you just want people to have fun enjoy yeah. what you do and enjoy life and I want to make, I want to like I realise I'm quite good at make, helping other people to have fun like the other day I'm doing an awful lot of press right now because of my book but I, I and someone said what's your what's the moment that you think you felt happiest recently and I sort of thought about it I said you know a couple of years ago I was at the Edinburgh Festival I was, I was it was the closing night of the Edinburgh International Festival and I did a club coming party in the Leith Theatre and I remember I was I was DJing and my band, and we had guests up and everything and, you know, and stuff like that, but I, my band were playing along to what I was DJing. I was in a rabbit outfit and I had two drumsticks and I was dancing, banging the rabbit, <laughs> the, banging the drumsticks. There was this packed house of people just dancing like crazy. My mum and my brother and my husband and a lot of friends were in the balcony looking, they were kind of dancing. And I'm just on the middle of the stage dancing my tits off in a rabbit outfit, aged 55 or whatever. And I just thought, this is great. You know, that's what I, yes. I just think. This yes. is, I'm having such fun. Everyone here is having such fun. I'm communicating. It's fun to be, we're not judging each other. We're all just having joy. And I've made it happen. And that is what I like most of all. I just, I'm not interested in snark or judgment or, you know, it's actually funny. I was just, it was just fashion week in New York. And, uh, you know, fashion is known for, snark and all that stuff and too cool for school and the bit yes and uh and this because i think you know it's the first in real life one since covid and i i i did a couple of events at it and it was so interesting to me it seemed really different like the there was this awards that i hosted the fashion media awards and everyone was so kind of loving and compassionate and kind and just you know the jokes weren't mean like they normally are or it just felt it was a different a different thing. I think this time when we've all had some time out of our lives is hopefully make make us better people. It'll be a bit more, you know, we've had to think of other people in a way that we've never had to before. So maybe we'll continue that into when we go back into the real world. I hope so. I think so. I think kindness is the key and laughter yes. is the best medicine. Talking of laughter, um, we always ask everybody on this podcast, what makes you properly belly laugh? Well, you certainly shared some with us, but what, <laughs> what absolutely tips you over the edge where you just cannot stop laughing? Um, <laughs> I suppose like, you know, being on stage and some, when I, when I can't, like being in a situation where you can't really laugh and something hilarious happens, 
or you know when someone's struggling for their lines in, a, in on a film or on a film set and you've got to kind of you know keep going that is and it's partly the repression of it like when i have to try and not laugh when i eventually do just give in <laughs> it's the best most insane laugh ever i also laugh at my dogs when we have these screen <laughs> we have these screens here up i'm upstate new york and we have the screen doors you know and we've got to put in recently and the dogs haven't like, they kept running into them and so now even when the, <laughs> even when the doors open and there's no screen door the dogs come up and they sort of put their paw up to kind of press to see if there's a screen door there <laughs> that makes me howl right now it's just telling every time we come in i'm just dying to look at them to see what they're going to do that's my sense of humour. See, anything, anyone falling over or walking into oh, anything, love it. Uh, animal or person, yeah. it's just my favourite thing. Once here, we, my friend Eddie, who's coming up this weekend, uh, we, uh, we were having a sing-song, and he just loves singing um, a Part of Your World from The Little Mermaid, you know that song? And so I started yes. playing it, and my friend was with me, and, you know, and uh, I said, oh, let's start the introduction, see how, f-. Eddie was out on the deck, let's see how fast Eddie comes to sing sing this. Well, I started the introduction and I looked up and the screen door <laughs> was closed and Eddie walked right into it. Like so far, like his face yes! actually came into the room. Like all his features came through the screen door <laughs> and then he pinged out back again. <laughs> I just, there's a lot of humour around screen doors, actually. <laughs> That's my favourite thing. I'm a sick woman. I'm a very sick woman. And also running so to much. sing the Little Mermaid song as well. A grown man running to sing the Little Mermaid song. <laughs> Oh, God, that's so fantastic. What a brilliant place to end. I, do you know, I wish we could hear you singing, though. And I know I I didn't ask you beforehand or anything, but I just love your singing voice. And you do these wonderful... You you When you do your cabaret... Yeah. And I've never seen you do it live, mm. but I've seen, you, I've seen you do it online. And, oh, my word, you... It's like you turn into the... Like a... a oh, this is a weird thing to say, but you turn into a cabaret character... It's you, but an enlarged cabaret version of yourself. Yes, you have to sort of be a heightened version of yourself in those, you know, because you're, it's a show. I mean, it's interesting. I, I always, because Liza, here, Clang, Liza Minnelli, I, I, the day, like the day when I was first asked to do one of those shows, like it was at the Lincoln Center in America, in New York, the, part of the American Songbook thing. It was like a really prestigious thing to be asked to do. And they have these, you know, basically they, they would arrange for you to have a show. And you'd perform it. And then, so my, and my, <laughs> my first two shows I ever did as a, you know, doing a cabaret, doing a concert, were the Lincoln Centre in New York and the Sydney Opera House. So I, I don't start oh small, Gabby. But, uh, but I know. But anyway, I was actually in Scotland and Liza came to, it's a long story, but anyway, the night after I... No, tell us, tell us. Well, she came to, I was doing a play in Scotland, uh, at the National Theatre of Scotland, and she was coming to Glasgow to do her concert. And so, and I know her, you know, I've known her over the years and we're chums. And so she, I went to have dinner with her the night before our concert and I'd been offered the thing to do this show. And I'd always wanted to, and I was always too scared to do my own sort of show. So I had this, I had this dinner with her and told her all about it. And she talked, I still think of the things she said that night about how you approach a song, like a play. Because I think I'm an actor, not a singer. I'm a singer, I'm an actor who sings, not a, you know. And so she says, well, that's just, I am too. And I was like, well, not really, Liza, you're kind of both. But she says that she, you think, she thinks of herself, and I do now, like I think of myself as a character in a song. The song starts, it's like a play starting, and it's the, you know, the first act, and you start, and then you meet conflict in the song, and you meet other people in the song, and, and you have this through line to the song, and it comes to some sort of climax, and then you end the song, and you let the character go, and it's, the, it's almost like the curtain call of the, of the play. And it's, so simple, but actually it's completely changed how I can approach singing because I feel I can be myself, but I can also act a song. And also there's this thing about, you know, you've got to do, you've got to be authentic, but you've also got to be a showman at the same time. And she, you know, kind of advised me, told me a lot about how she does that. And or just, you know, it's, it's, it's fascinating to watch her and learn about how you, you can you can have pizzazz and and also you know you you are being authentic but you kind of have to fake it because you do it more than once and that's something that's I mean even like telling you that story about Kristen I tell that story all the time but I still love it uh, even though I've you know I'm, I'm I'm doing a turn by telling it so that's that's something that's kind of hard to takes a while to get into that groove and to feel comfortable enough doing it 
But I'm so glad I did because it's it's really that's another thing that's kind of changed my life. Like I feel I love going on tour. You know, I've got a new show I just started called Alan Cumming is not acting his age. So I'm I'm and I'm going to be doing that a bit more next year probably. And will you be in the UK with that one? Yes. Well, I just did it in Edinburgh at the International Festival, but just for four shows. And I'm probably next year because I've got kind of a backlog. Everyone's got a backlog of shows, you know, from COVID. So yeah, I'm planning to. I've, maybe I don't know actually. Because uh, uh, I've got my dance. Please come show. to London. I will, I will. I will. I promise. For you, Gabby, I will come. Um, Alan, you are a joy. You really Thank are. Thank you, Gabby. It's and, so nice to talk to you. Just carry on being happy. I will. I will. This has been so nice. All right. Loads of love. Thank you, my darling. Thank you so much for listening. Coming up next week is the award-winning actor David Oyelowo. That Gabby Roslin podcast is proudly produced by Cameo Productions. Music by Beth Macari. Could you please tap the follow or subscribe button? And thanks so much for your amazing reviews. We honestly read every single one and they mean the world to us. Thank you so much. <laughs>